Screw it up. Make it tough. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, this week, I am joined by Shahid Hawk Housrath. I made it through your name. Yeah, you got okay, it. I'm never going to say it again because <laughs> I get it wrong. And you are an immigration lawyer here in Helena, but you've done some really big national cases recently. Or I don't know exactly what you do. Yeah. Other than being an immigration lawyer, and. Um, the, the reason I asked you on the show is because of the thing that happened with uh, the uh, top ICE agent in the state of Montana. Right. Um, let's back up a little bit, because you're very involved in politics, and um, your wife actually sits on the city council, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I can tell you, I wear a couple of different hats in what I do, but, yeah, I'm, I'm an immigration attorney, and I have my own law firm called the Border Crossing Law Firm, and um, I just focus only on um, immigration cases, whether it's helping people get visas, uh, marriage visas, fiancé visas, work visas, but then also helping people who are in removal proceedings. And, um, and that's how I got involved with the whole ICE thing that you're talking about. We can talk about that in a minute. But, um, but yeah, my wife is Catherine Hawk-Hausrath, and she's a city commissioner here in Helena. And um, she ran on a platform of passing a non-discrimination ordinance to protect um, LGBT members of the community in Helena. And so that's been, um, I'm sure that's something you probably been talking about on your show and we'll be talking about I'm sure in the future but uh, actually we haven't really covered it yet we've talked about 516 which is uh, the one of the reasons that I started the show actually is because of some of the stuff that happened in the last session 516 being one of the big ones mm-hmm. and um, so we have sort of talked around the issue but we haven't really talked about Helena's non-discrimination ordinance yeah. I'm waiting on uh, Jamie Greer to come on the show right. actually and uh Jamie, if you're listening to this, I know you've been avoiding the show. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I know the reason, you know, part of the people, you know, a bunch of people are, are a little bit leery about coming on the show because they've met me and they know exactly what sort of <laughs> I am. Um, but that's not what the show's about. So hopefully uh, Jamie will come on soon and we will yeah. discuss that. But yeah, it is interesting that we have that going on. And um, the city council race was uh, an interesting race. I, and I'm very glad that your wife won. I think she's doing an awesome job. Um, I think that it was very interesting that we had uh, Matt Elsasser lie to us about his where he stood on that particular issue because um, he's been the one holdout vote on it. So it's been very bizarre. Yeah, it's been a, definitely been a bizarre process. But um, I'll be glad when that whole thing is over and we actually pass it and, and get to move on. But yeah, and then as far as other stuff I've been involved in, um, I am the chair of the board of the Montana Human Rights Network. So. In that capacity, I've been working on LGBT issues and other issues, um, basically human rights issues um, of all sorts. But um, I guess the reason that they invited me to join the board was with my immigration work. And so, you know, I don't just do um, immigration work as part of my law practice. I mean, I actually do volunteer to do all kinds of additional work like... uh, you know, for instance, I've been volunteering my time in the 2009 and 2011 legislative sessions to just go out there and lobby against the anti-immigrant laws that have been proposed. And, you <laughs> Which know, we've had a few, and yeah, very ugly. I know. I don't think a lot of people know too much about those. I mean, um, kind of, they, luckily almost all of them were shot down except for one, which is actually a legislative referendum that's going to be on the ballot this November. And I'd like to maybe talk about that absolutely, a little bit. But, absolutely. Yeah, it's called LR-121. And, um, you know, we've been uh, kind of hearing about a lot of different legislative referendums. Um, they, it's like a process where the legislature passes a bill to actually put something on the ballot 
in yeah, November. And I, and I think it's funny that they call them legislative referendums because they really should just be called le legislative abdications because they're not doing their job. They're going to pass it off on the voters and then say, well, you didn't do it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of different weird ones that um, the Supreme Court, um, Montana Supreme Court, struck down two of them recently. But this one is going to make it on the ballot. And so what it will be is it'll just say um, in, in short form, the, you know, the yes or no statements, it'll say, are you for or against denying certain state services to illegal aliens? And so, you know, the average voter might not understand exactly what that means. And so when you look at exactly what that means, they want to deny state services to, to immigrants in, in a lot of different categories. Like, for instance, they want to deny the ability to attend college at all. Um, you know, even if you pay full tuition or out-of-state tuition, they want to deny college. Uh, a college education to anyone who can't prove that they're here with um, valid legal status. And they, but they also include all kinds of other strange things, like one of them is denying services to victims of crime. So, like, w what do you mean by that, you know? So they get robbed and the police aren't going to help them? I think what they mean is, um, you know, there's this Crime Victims Compensation Fund, and um, basically um, people who are victims of serious crimes who have um, suffered injury in various ways can access this crime victims compensation fund and try to get um, you know something to make the whole or compensate them for their, their injuries and you know I, I guess they would deny them access to that but then they have um, things included in there with services to um, people who are physically disabled um, you know, uh, everybody... So it's a it's a grand NIMBY law is what it amounts to. Not in my backyard. You people are not, yeah. not my people. You know, the weird thing about this one, like you mentioned, um, like legislative abdication, this exact same bill, da Representative David Howard from, I believe, some Park City, but um, he's a sponsor of a lot of anti-immigrant legislation. So he tried to pass this exact same bill um, just, as a, just as a law, it's a regular law, and he... Um, he was shot down. I mean, it died in committee, I, I believe, on that one. But then this exact same law as a legislative referral somehow made it through. So, um, you know, now the people will have to vote on this. But a couple of issues just real quick with this is that it, the way that they're going to check to see if people are undocumented or if people are ha have valid legal status, they, um, they want to do it through a federal database. It's called the SAVE database. And this is a federal database that costs money to use. And so the state of Montana, all of a sudden, is going to be paying money to the federal government to use their federal database to screen people. And it costs between 25 cents to 50 cents per search. But when you think about how many people are going to have to be screened through, it starts adding up. And then, um, you know, the, the, the federal database now would be mandatory to check for all kinds of new hires and that the state, you know, it requires you to check every new state employee who's going to be screened, plus any applicant for a state license or permit, which that includes all kinds of stuff from like beauticians to barbers and um, plumbers and, you know, just the whole gamut. All these guys are going to have to be screened. So. so this was put together by our people who want smaller government and to be less intrusive and get it out of the way so we can do our jobs. And they're putting in something that is literally going to create a level of paperwork unheard of in this state. Exactly. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea. Way to get idea. it backwards. I know. You know, the weird <sighs> thing is that... Uh, Montana, you know, I don't know if you remember the whole real ID thing where... Um, yeah, Schweitzer you know, was against it and, and said no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, real ID was basically the exact same federal system that we're talking about. 
except you have to use that before you issue new driver's licenses. And then there were certain other things about how you do your driver's licenses, and we opposed that. I mean, Republicans and Democrats together, everybody was like, no, forget that. We're Montana. We stand alone. We're going to do it our own way. Now we're talking about actually implementing this on a much larger scale. I mean, in every facet of state government. And, and why would we want, you know, I, I have my own libertarian leanings every once in a while, which oh, sure. in my own head I'm sure I'm going, what? Uh, but I don't understand why we would want to have that information on anyone, let alone whether they were an immigrant or not. It's, it, it has such a potential for abuse. Yeah, it's just and it's and it's an amazing waste of time, really. I think that's the biggest thing that, um, you know, there's just been no factual assertion that this is necessary in any way, shape or form in, in, in the state of Montana. I mean, yeah, but we don't let the facts cloud our politics. <laughs> right, right. So don't, don't yeah. tell me what's real. Tell me what I know. Right, right. Uh, oh, you should have seen some of the testimony um, in the legislative session last time. I mean, uh, you know, the the people who would come up to support this type of legislation, there were about 12, um, I call them anti-immigrant bills, because I think they were geared not towards just reducing undocumented immigration. I mean, I, I think they were pretty patently kind of anti-immigrant as a whole, just in... Um, oh, yeah. In Our the, racism is is very uh, subtle, uh, yet lethal. Yeah, so. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, proponents, um, the proponents of these bills, even they said that according to their sources, basically there's this group called FAIR, um, and uh, I think it's like the Federation Against Immigration Reform, something like that. Um, they, uh, they come out with these facts and figures and numbers, and they're really, FAIR is actually run, um, ultimately are connected to a guy named John Tanton who um, has known ties to white supremacist movements and things like that, and so the Southern Poverty Law Center issued this whole expose, and they said, you know, FAIR is basically a, a known hate group, according to them. And so, um, but FAIR still, to this day, is being cited by, you know, congressmen on the federal level, and they certainly cite it on the state level here. But, mm. but FAIR, e even according to their own statistics, and I actually printed one out, but uh, they, even they say that they estimate 5,000 undocumented immigrants in the state of Montana. So... I mean, we're talking about implementing a statewide scheme that's going to require training, uh, implementation, so a, a whole new kind of system. So we have a million residents in the state of Montana, and this would really only capture 5,000? If that, because there's been no evidence that these 5,000 are, are applying for these particular benefits that they're trying to deny. I mean, um, it, I remember uh, during the bill uh, where, you know, I mentioned there was a corollary. It was the bill that mm -hmm. Representative David Howard brought um, some of the heads of some of the state agencies came over to testify, and uh, one of them was the unemployment insurance agency. They want to deny unemployment insurance benefits to undocumented immigrants, but they testified, uh, if I rem am remembering correctly, that they had they had only had one applicant in the last um, several years that had even a questionable immigration status, and so you know we're certainly not talking about some kind of dramatic expense to the state of of people who are not authorized getting benefits and costing the state money. Um, but, you know, I'm really worried about that one just because uh, anytime, the, the act, anytime it's easier to vote yes than no because of a lack of information, you know, you're, you're, at, you're potentially in trouble. I mean, if, they, if the question is posed as, do you want to deny certain state services to undocumented immigrants? Some people might say, sure, why not, you know? But once you get the, the whole story, which requires actually reading through and understanding kind of what this bill really does, then you don't want to vote for it anymore. But right. 
you know. Um, yeah, that, that leads into nicely the whole thing. I was talking to some friends, and I've actually, it started, I think I tweeted it this morning, but it, basically I'm, I'm starting to get to the point with voters where it's like, if you're not going to vote smart, don't vote. <laughs> just stay away from the voting booth. Just remain ignorant. We'll take care of it for you. We don't need you there. Yeah. Um, uh, there are several people I would like to make sure that they aren't allowed at the voting booth. Uh, <laughs> it's a problem with democracy. We have to let them in if they want to. But um, with all of the stuff that goes on, it, why is immigration such a big big issue in Montana? We're a landlocked state. We're not a high populous state. We're not a place where people flock to in droves to get jobs. Well, okay, other than the Bakken. But why is this such an issue? You know, where is this coming from? So, you know, part of it is it's just, it's just a national trend. And what we're seeing here is a few vocal, very outspoken conservatives trying to basically bring what they see nationwide over here to the state of Montana. So it's kind of being pushed by national groups. In fact, this particular referendum that I'm referring to, that actually is is pretty unique. I mean, I think that national groups are probably looking at that as being a testing ground to see how this type of thing works here and see if they can uh, use it somewhere else. I mean, this I mean, we've seen some really dramatically worse immigration laws come out in uh, Arizona, Georgia, Alabama, but this is a different type of law, and this particular type of law hasn't been passed anywhere else in in, in the nations, as far as I know. But I mean. And so was, is there a cost bill attached to it that people can see what the annual cost is going to be for the state to implement this? Well, so the, the fiscal notes were crafted towards the end of the legislative session, and frankly, the state agencies basically phoned them in. Um, so each... Um, There's a shock. Yeah. The, uh, they, they came up with various um, estimates using their own criteria, like, you know, what this might cost. And um, for a lot of them, they say, well, you know, we're, we, we are assuming that everybody who comes to us is going to basically be able to completely and unam uh, unambiguously prove their citizenship, so therefore they won't even need to be screened through this program. But then basically we will somehow whittle down the few who can't prove that, and then we'll run them through the system. So we are only estimating that it will cost a few thousand dollars or whatever. You know, some people did it that way, but other people more sensibly, in my view, said, hey, look, we're probably going to have to run through the vast majority of applicants because we can't be saying, hey, look, you look brown or you look foreign or you look different, so we're going to screen you and we're not going to screen these other guys. You know, in the end, I think you're going to have to screen a lot of different applicants. And so basically, in the end, what they said on the fiscal note to the referendum, they said the cost cannot be pre precisely determined because we're not sure, but it will require some cost for implementation and blah, blah, blah. So they actually don't provide a particular figure. But, and, and that isn't on the ballot anyway, is it? Um, it's... You know, I think the way it's going to work on the ballot is you'll you'll have the um, you'll have a little bit of an explanation statement before the actual yes/no vote part, and so there'll be a few paragraphs of explanation, and uh, I think there will be a cost statement, and then right under it there'll be the yes/no vote, and so you just have to kind of hope people read the whole thing first, and uh, maybe it should just be worded. Would you like to spit? Would you like to waste a bunch of money on a useless thing to track people you'll never see anyway? <laughs> that'd be more accurate. I wish it was like that. But, you know, but like your question about, like, why this is important in Montana. So Montana is, I think it's tied for last in terms of the numbers of immigrants in the state. So we, we certainly are not... Tied for last with who? Ah, oh, geez, who was? I should have, I should have brought that information. It's got to be like Utah. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it was like North Dakota, maybe, uh, something like that. But, you know, now North Dakota's actually seen a boom with the oil right. um, stuff going on over there. But 
Um, but anyway, I, I bet you we're still tied with them um, for last. But the, um, but the thing is, even though we have some of the fewest numbers of immigrants in the entire country, we still do have immigrants here. I mean, I stay really busy with my law practice, partly because there's, there's not a, there are not a whole lot of attorneys who specialize in immigration and its own specialty. So, you, you know, most lawyers wouldn't have the slightest clue how to do immigration stuff. And right. I don't have the slightest clue how to do what they do. So um, <laughs> exactly. it works out. But yeah, don't come to Shahid for DUI. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. But um, the, uh, but the thing is that the, uh, what I, I've heard a lot of people say, like David Howard and some of his um, standard proponents of his legislation, like there's this guy named Paul Nachman who, um, y- you know, he's kind of a... Um, a guy in Bozeman who uh, writes a lot about kind of anti-immigrant rhetoric and things of that nature. Um, and uh, I actually think, not to give him a, a plug, but he has this group called uh, Mile, like Montana, Montanans, um, for, I, I don't even know what Mile stands for, but one of the funny things I saw on his website, not to get too off topic, but they've got this frequently asked questions thing. And uh, one of them is, isn't it true that, you know, the Statue of Liberty itself is about migrants? I mean, it says, bring us your, um, your, your, your weed, poor, your, your poor, weed, your, your huddled masses lives. yearning to breathe free, um, you know. So isn't that about immigration stuff? And he's like, no, no, not at all, you know. Um, uh, basically, <laughs> you know, that whole poem, you know, that was basically vandalized and placed on there. At, you know, the way he makes it sound, it's like the, the Statue of Liberty was... Um, put up and then like and some somebody hoodlums. went around and did carpet yeah. it. <laughs> right, they just come around and just hammer it in there. Oh, uh, you really hey, gotta look. Here's that what up. we're gonna do: don't bring the spray paint. Get a chisel. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go up to the tall lady with the green dress, and we're gonna yeah, no. we're gonna hammer in this nice poem. You know, no, but and spell it correctly. Spell it correctly. Remember, we're French. We could get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what they say is stu- is stuff like oh, you know. Um, one of them, call, uh, Nachman, he calls himself a refugee from California. And so I remember at this one... Um, oh, so uh, he's an immigrant. Get rid of him. Right. Yeah, if you're a refugee, yeah, why don't you go back? Um, <laughs> Please return to California. They've got enough problems, but apparently they could use you. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people didn't know what he meant, so I, I saw a couple of legislators kind of chuckle where he's just like, I'm a refugee from California. And I think they thought it was like a, a rag on California being like, ah, like California sucks, so you came here to the great state of Montana. But then... He starts going on. He's like, no, no, no. What I mean is, like, he thought there were just way too many Mexicans and, and, and foreigners taking over the state of California to the point where he had to leave, and he had to leave the state because it got so bad, so he came to Montana. And so he's like, I'm a refugee. And so what he says is he doesn't want Montana to go the same route. So he's like, it's not a problem right now. You know, I'll grant you we don't have very many immigrants here right now, but we just need to start enacting these laws so that, uh, so that it doesn't get as bad as California. So it's like a preventative measure. It's a level of xenophobia and racism unheard of in our own state. <laughs> right. We imported it. Yay. Yay, thanks. Actually, we have, a, we have interesting, and, and one, of the, one of the things that I think is uh, interesting about racism is, well, there's lots of things that are interesting about it, and some of them are obviously really horrible, but it's so insidious on some levels that, you know, we all have our own little levels of racism that are harmless. I can't believe I'm having to have this discussion, but uh, they are harmless and they are just, you know, how you deal with reality. And, and you know, I'm in Avenue Q right now. One of the songs in the, the play is actually everybody's a little bit racist. And it talks about the ways that, you know, you are racist and don't even realize it. And um, 
I remember when the, I don't remember if it was because the play came out, but I remember having a discussion similar to this right around the time the play came out about how um, growing up in Montana, I never really thought of myself as racist. And, you know, because, you know, we didn't have anybody from Asia really around. I mean, we had the Wongs, you know, here in town. They obviously, they have um, a couple of restaurants and they were a big part of the community. But there was never any angst or animosity towards them. So there was never any racism towards Mm -hmm. them. And then um, I remember actually three months after I graduated, I realized I went to school with somebody who was (laughs) African-American. I was like, oh, had no clue. Hmm." But then it took me a long time to realize I had this uh, abiding, well, sort of, hidden racism towards Native Americans. That was just, it's how Montanans were raised. And I had to work really hard to root that out. And I don't think that people, you know, unless you really sit down and think about how you interact with people and and what you've just said and what you've just done with someone and figure out where it comes from, I don't think you realize how much racism is actually out there. Yeah. And, you know, from the perspective of white privilege, it's very easy to overlook that stuff. And so I think it's it's bizarre to me that these people come in and they're like, well, these people are a problem. No, you're the problem. The yeah. problem is you see them as something other than you. And until you can get over that major issue, you're never going to make this a better place because you've already decided that you put a label on them, that they are the other, and you can attack them. And that's the basic problem with a lot of this stuff. I think, actually, that's our basic problem in this country is right now we're so filled with fear that all we do is we label everything else as the other so that we can attack it. We're like porcupines on crack. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. There's a lot of fear. And you're right, too. I mean, the whole identifying racism thing, I mean, it's not like your job's ever done. It's not like, hey, hey, I'm the board president of the Montana Human Rights Network. I do good stuff. I'm a good guy. So my my job is done. You know, like, I'm not racist, period. It's like, no, you've got to constantly be analyzing whether, whether you, you know, your your thoughts are leaning towards something that's racist, xenophobic, homophobic. Um, you know, it, you know, it's it's a constant process, and you've got to constantly keep your mind in check and double double think whether you're, there's some kind of stereotypes or yeah, um, and, something and else. Are you reacting to the person or to the stereotype? Right, or a combination of the two. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because from the way I grew up, I, I kind of have seen a little bit of racism from uh, and prejudice from different different sides i mean i've certainly been the i uh, the recipient of prejudice and racism growing up but it, it's kind of funny growing up and uh, i grew up in a muslim family and uh we grew up in the midwest and you know my parents are, are um you know i wouldn't say they're they're extremely religious but you know they're they're about as religious as your average muslim which is to say that they you know hold their faith pretty seriously and there, there are a lot of things in in the faith that would um you know be they, they're different. They would stand out. They make they make you appear different and act different. But, you know, I was never very religious just because I grew up here in the U.S. and I kind of consider myself a, an American, you know, and didn't didn't really follow most of the tenets of the Islamic faith or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, you know, uh, so I, I saw on on my, some of my parents' friends, some of the Muslim community, the way that they didn't want to, um, you know, kind of. I guess uh, they they didn't want to be like everybody else. They looked down upon some of the some of the stuff that the average American did, and the, and you know they kind of there was prejudice on that on that going both ways. I think you know kind of you know it's amazing how two people can look at each other from different cultures and they're both looking down on each other, and which means yeah. they're not seeing each other at all. Yeah, I always felt a little weird being caught in the middle, and then you know I actually got married. You know, Catherine, um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, 
the Muslim world, my parents in particular, didn't really uh, approve of, of our marriage and, you know, kind of, you know, basically uh, ostracized me from the family. I was cut off from my family for, for several years, you know, and so kind of, I, I, I only say that because it helps me when I think about prejudice and the way that all that factors in. You know, a lot of people tend to look at things as like the white people are the, the, the aggressors or the people who are prejudiced and everybody else is the recipient of, of prejudice and, you know, it's not really well, those, true. I that's mean, in some history books. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is, I think everybody needs to analyze, and it, and it doesn't matter even if you are in the U.S. as a minority population, um, everybody has some latent racism or prejudice that they need to analyze and look at, and that's the only way our country is going to get better. I mean, everybody's got to look at it. I've got clients who um, come to me and they're like, uh, this is the number one way, honestly, to, to, to get on my shit list, really. Is, but, um, I have clients who will come to me and say, well, I don't see why this is so difficult for me. You know, I'm from Canada or, or the U.K. or, you know, wherever. Um, you know, how do these Mexicans get it so easily? They just come in here and whatever. And, you know, it's not like I'm a Mexican or something like that. Why, oh, why am I having such a randomness? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know what? You actually don't get special immigration privileges because you're white. You know, that actually doesn't work that way. So, um, but yeah, anyways, I don't know how we got off on this. But, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't know how I end up in most of my shows. So yeah. <laughs> come along for the ride. Yeah. Um, I, I, since we've already had... Uh, the brought up you brought up homophobia. One of the, the the tweets that I love and it keeps going around. It's funny because I see it about twice a week now. Is Mor- Morgan Freeman tweeted homophobia is a misnomer. Uh, you're not scared. You're an asshole. I know. I love that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Look, if an 88 year old black man can figure it out, the rest of you should be able to get your shit together. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Um, so let's back up a little bit. You, I know you grew up in the U.S. Were you born here? Yeah, I was born over here. So, so you're technically as, as much a citizen as anybody else. So all of the you know the vest wearing, snake patch owning, uh, creeps from Townsend can you know take a dive. Yeah, you're you're a born citizen. Um, as much as I am, well, I was born in Denver, so it's iffy. But. Um, <laughs> And your parents are, are naturalized uh, citizens, yes? Right, yeah. They weren't um, when they first came over, actually. My dad came over on a, kind of a work visa. My dad's a doctor, mm-hmm. and so he came over to serve an underserved community. Uh, basically, they had a program, in effect, at that point, where if doctors wanted to live in kind of a rural area that had more need for doctors, they could come over on a work visa, and then they could um, eventually apply for their permanent residency and then get their citizenship. And so that's what my dad did. And so... Um, um, it was interesting because last legislative session, um, James Knox, he tried to pr- mm, propose... The delightful a, James Knox? Oh, yeah. I think I think he's gone and not coming back. I think uh, that's probably good for everybody. But <laughs> he wanted to pass this law that, like, defined Montana citizenship. So all of a sudden uh, you had this, like, Montana definition of citizenship that differed from the federal definition. I mean, like, right now we we have Montana citizens, but that means anyone who is a citizen of the U.S. and resides here, you know? Right. Like, but he wanted to be different. He wanted to say that, uh, you know, both of your parents had to be citizens or some such definition. And so when I looked at it, I was like, wait a second. You know, this would actually call into question whether I'm a Montana citizen because my parents weren't citizens when I was born, you know. But Well, it would make me a non-Montana citizen because I wasn't born here. And while my mother was, my sisters, one of my sisters was, one of them wasn't, my dad was not, 
my grandfather, one of them was, the other one wasn't. And it's, you know, yeah. where does it add up? <laughs> I mean, that thing got shot down really, really fast, luckily, but... Um, but <sighs> fast uh, enough if it showed up at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, my, my um, so yeah, my parents have been here for a long time. I mean, I'm like, I think I'm 33 or something like that, and my parents were here several years before me, so I'd say they've been here probably 38 years or something like that. Wow. So, um, yeah, they've been here for a while, and they live in Missouri now, but... Um, oh, so they get to deal with Aiken. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, just to bring up something that blew up over the weekend. <laughs> How delightful. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so how did you get into immigration law? Was it something that you knew you wanted to go into? Had you run into something that really just pushed you into it? Or um, I think it uh, it wasn't something that I I necessarily knew I wanted to do. I mean, I, I knew I had to go to law school because I wasn't good at anything else. I mean, I basically, like, you know, <laughs> had no, I was terrible at, at math and sciences and anything else, but um, but that was like verbal arguments or whatever was, that was my forte. So, but um, basically in law school, I, um, I got involved in this clinic where it was, um, it was by the, the National Immigrant Justice Center and they had this uh, clinic where law students could go in and represent refugees, basically people who were seeking asylum in the, in uh, the U.S. because they had to flee from their home country to escape persecution, torture, abuse. Um, and so, you know, Chicago was a big hub. A lot of people would come in from international flights and they'd land in O'Hare. And then they, if they didn't have any visas or anything like that, they would present themselves and say, hey, um, you know, my visa's fake. I, that's how I got on this plane. But um, I, um, I'm, I had to flee my home country. I'm requesting asylum. And so what, what happens is they get put in detention it's basically you're like, oh, thanks, welcome to the U.S. You're under arrest, and we're putting you in detention. <laughs> right. But then we're they get quarantining to, you. Yeah. So um, they have such a need for asylum seekers, and the immigration system is so um, so strange that actually law students are allowed to represent people. Most of the time, law students can't represent people until they graduate and get their license. Well, but, yeah, law students can't represent citizens. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's probably a good There's thing that too. Loophole. But <laughs> yeah, so if you were under the supervision of an actual attorney, you could represent clients seeking asylum. And so, hmm. I uh, I ended up doing like I think three or four cases during um, during that year, and and um, those were people from Togo, um, which is a small country, uh, former French colony, and really brutal dictator and um i represented people from eritrea another um un- country under the brutal regime and and so i ended up winning like three or four asylum cases that time and then i signed up again my next year in law school to do some more and i won about three or four more asylum cases and so i mean that, that's where i felt like i that's when i knew i had to be an immigration lawyer i mean i um it made such a difference those those people i mean it the fact that there was a lawyer there to help them prepare their case and present it made the difference between whether they were going to be approved or denied. There's no question. I mean, if it, the way that that system works, you go in without proper documentation or proper application, you're just going to be denied. And that makes it's like a life or death decision for these right. guys. So, yeah. yeah, I got involved in that. And then, um, you know, I did go to work at a large firm in Chicago to make some make some money and pay off my law school student loans. But I kept doing pro bono cases on the side. And then Finally, my wife and I decided to pick up and move to Montana, and I opened up my own practice. And I've just been doing um, immigration law ever since, all sorts of different things, not just refugee cases, but um, lots of different types of cases. And I still do my pro bono work. I, I continue to take as many free cases as I can. And um, I've been doing a lot of clinics, like free 
legal clinics where I'll go over to West Yellowstone or the Bozeman area and kind of set up shop and um, just, you know, maybe 10 to 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. here as many free, free consultations as I can, give people some advice on what to do. And um, I'm actually planning on doing some more, uh, especially now that there's been this new law passed by President Obama. It's, um, I don't know if you've heard about it, but the, um, it's kind of like, uh, like the DREAM Act where kids who came here when they were under 16 and were basically brought here by their parents typically or maybe came on their own, but, um, you know, had clearly had no kind of culpability in coming to the United States. Not like they, you know, decided, hey, I'm going to break or circumvent U.S. immigration laws and come over. They were, they were kids, you know. So the idea is that these kids shouldn't be um, required to be in the shadows and, um, you know, kind of be second-class um, residents their whole lives. They should be able to come forward and participate and go to college and become a contributing member of our workforce and everything else. And so, you know, I, I feel like it's a pretty uncontroversial policy. It also um, is, uh, it allows young kids to come forward if they want to serve in our armed forces. So if, uh, if somebody wants to serve in the military and they meet those criteria, like they came here when they were children, they could serve in the military. So um, it seems like a win-win. But, you know, our Senator Tester voted against that, uh, that bill, and, and so did Bacchus, and there were only two of four Democrats in the entire country who voted against that. So, um, Do we know why? Well, you know, he made a statement around that time where he said he opposes amnesty and he's against amnesty for anyone who didn't, uh, you know, follow the immigration laws. And it's all about, you I'd know... I'd like to talk to his great-great-grandfather and see if he followed the same immigration laws because he's white. Yeah, so. you know, it's, it's once you start talking about that kind of thing, yeah, it brings up a whole can of worms. I was very critical of what he did with the DREAM Act vote. And, um, you know, he was also... Um, against immigration reform in 2007 and um, his campaign website as of like six months ago when I last checked had an immigration page that was really off base you know kind of going on about how we need to secure our borders spend money on national security but not um, not pass amnesty for people who violated our laws you know very simplistic but wrong you know just dead wrong uh, so see and I, that's the whole yeah, that's the fear-based politics that we have going on, which I have a huge problem with. Yeah. So. Yeah, I it's agree. Like, it's wrong. It's. Ugh, I I don't know what a, a way to say this, but it's like you know, like the TSA is a good example of this. There is no American citizen now who gets on a plane, who sees somebody stand up, if they grab a box cutter, isn't going to stand up and beat the crap out of them. So we don't need the the level of security theater that we have going on. I still think we need. Metal detectors at airports, fine. But don't worry about what I got in my juice pouch. <laughs> right. Really and truly, certainly don't worry about my hair product, because uh, it's hair product. <laughs> and if you're going to go digging through my luggage, I'm not going to tell you what's in there, but I am going to look at your face, because you're going to be surprised. <laughs> so it's like, just get a grip. And, yeah. and, and this whole, the, the fear that goes on with the whole, oh, we have to secure our borders. No, we don't. We have to secure our lives, and securing our lives means we go and we say hello to our neighbors, and we go to the PTA, and we know the kids in the neighborhood, and we are friendly and outgoing and inviting, because you know what? When you are those things, you get friends who are outgoing and inviting, and then your community doesn't scare you, and you can live your life, because you know that when something happens to you, your friends, who happen to live next door, that you know, are going to be there to help you. Yeah. You know, so if you can't 
see that. If you can't see that saying, well, our borders aren't secure and I'm worried about what these people are going to do to me, that is the problem. Not the people that you're imagining, but the bogeyman that you're calling up, that is the problem. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stop, you being we, the people, if we don't stop that, we are going to continue down this path that is just, it's insane. And it doesn't end well. The militarization of the Canadian border in particular is just something that I just don't understand. I mean, it's... um, no. John Tester is one of the biggest proponents of, of basically, I mean, I'm not sure if they're technically earmarks or what they are, but um, basically getting funding for further border stations along the Canadian border. I mean, there was uh, the, the border station to nowhere. It was kind of like the Alaskan r- bridge to nowhere. Right. But um, there were some two million or so placed into a border station, I believe, in um, what was it, Whitehall? I, I don't know. So, but uh, there was a, a border station that gets almost no use, and it was a, kind of a little bit of a fiasco, kind of a, um, you know, maybe created a few jobs in that area. But um, the idea that, that we need to move into, like, drones along the Canadian border, there are drones along the Canadian border, but um, people are, certain people are trying to expand that. But, I, you know, I have not... But it's like, when did Canada become our enemy? That's one I want to know. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking at you know our history, Canada's really kind of been like a sister to us. Um, it's very bizarre. Yeah. I mean, any potential claims for why that's necessary in terms of like securing the border, prevent terrorists from being able to get uh, things through the border, or you know, it's just none of that, according to what I've been reading, actually holds any water. I mean, there the CBO actually has issued a report and. I won't claim to have read the whole freaking thing, but <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> that kind of time. Yeah, but I've read some of the summaries, and it doesn't seem to to bear out. But yeah, yeah, you know the um, the Canadian border is our. I mean, that's our border. We have uh, that's the only border we have here in Montana. And most of our undocumented residents in Montana are said to be Canadians, actually, because but it's not as easy to. Um, to pull out those kinds of statistics because Canadians don't actually even have to have a visa to enter our country. I mean, um, just they can come on in. They're supposed to stay for no later than six months at a time if they're a visitor, but oftentimes they stay far longer than that. And there are not great records of admission uh, details at the border. And so, well, no, because, and, and that's one of the things that I think is funny. We have these little borders where everybody's like, oh, we have to protect them. And they've got armed guards and they've got a drone and a big dog and they're never open. And you can only take one car through and it has to be inspected. And there's 62 clowns that come out and check everything <laughs> that are in it. But then you have these other border crossings like at Seattle. Uh, well, I guess it's Bremerton, whatever, north of Seattle, going into Vancouver where thousands of cars, yeah, they just wave you on through. Oh, you're white. Go through. Right, you're white. Right. Go through. I'm not white. We're going to have to talk to you for a minute. It's like, what? Yeah. You know, ugh. apparently at the Canadian border, um, you know, the, um, you know, the biggest issues there are typically Canadian permanent residents who actually are permanent residents of the United States who have remained in Canada a little bit longer than they were supposed to. So they may have, um, you can lose your permanent residency. I mean, if you go out of the country for more than six months at a time, mm-hmm. you can abandon your green card. And so that's really, uh, I hear a lot of that. A lot of people call me up and they're like, they took my green card. I I was only gone for a year to help my ailing grandmother. And now they won't let me back in or they've they've taken my green card. So that's that's one of the issues. But yeah, you know, we we don't have a whole lot of serious issues going on in our border. And uh, I've I've not had a single illegal entry without inspection person from who crossed the Canadian border. And I have plenty of people who have crossed the, the Mexican border and come to me and say, hey, look, I illegally entered the country. 
on whatever day and you know now I'm married to a US citizen and I have three kids because there's something you can do to help me but I've never had the same thing with the Canadian border so hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, the solution to the Mexican border is easy. Just make Mexico a state. And then we just have the border down at Panama, which is really already built. (laughs) Very easy to see. Um, That's my solution. I I think it's funny because, you know, in my family, uh, going back a couple generations, we we don't actually know the name of uh, a great-great-grandfather of mine because he was on the, the British death list. So, you know, we come from Terrace and... Mm-hmm. And we're white. <laughs> it's great. Um, but I look at, you know, what immigration was and what it is now. And, you know, there's this whole, well, this is now for me. I've come here and now it's for me. And I don't understand the mentality. I think that anybody who wants to come to the United States should absolutely be allowed to come to the, come to the United States. Come see all the wonder that it is and do great things and become a, a productive and an, an amazing part of our society because that just makes us better. You know, I, you know it cracks me up because we've never been the best at math yet we get to the moon and to Mars. We've never been the best at engineering yet we get to the moon and we get to Mars. And you know, when we first started our rocket programs at NASA, you know, we weren't the best at that. We actually imported people from, (laughs) for that, uh, because we won this little thing called world war two. And, but then we turn around and we do, we do things better because we're different and we have all these different pieces that come together and, and make us interesting and, and creative and we're, we can do all these amazing things, but we can't do it if we shut down and, and we huddle in a corner in fear. Absolutely, yeah, and we're losing some of our competitive advantage as a country by shutting our borders that way. I mean, there are people, there are companies in the U.S. who actually re- have opened up offices outside of the United States so that when they need the best and brightest from other countries to be able to work for them, they don't have to go through all the hoops that we require so that they, um, so that they can actually get people to work for them more easily. And so they'll go to Canada where some, the immigration laws are, I'm told, slightly more lax uh, uh, in certain respects, um, or, or some other countries where they can get the best and brightest. I mean, that's not good for us. We want to bring in uh, I, I think we want to bring in the best and brightest from all over the world. And Absolutely, because the best and brightest are then going to produce a lot, and then they get you know, get taxed, and you know our society functions better. Yeah, yeah, you know. So there are a lot of myths and um, falsehoods that go into the immigration debate, and it's always, you know, it's always tough for for what I do when I want to um, really talk about how we can fix the immigration system, what reforms would actually help, what we need to do, because the the most simple. And easy, punchy answers are the wrong ones. I mean, things like, uh, what is it about illegal that you don't understand? Everyone says that, you know. Or like, why don't, why don't the people who are here illegally just go wait in line? And then, you know. Well, I could give you one example, because the head of ICE in Montana is a racist prick. <laughs> so would you wait in line? Would you, as a human being, wait in line to go see somebody who's literally going to look at you and go, well, your skin's the wrong color, so I don't trust you? and you can't be here. Why would you go wait in line with them? And for, for most people, there is no line, too. That's the other thing. There's this misconception that there's a line for everyone, and you just got to wait in it. I mean, see, most, most people are basing that kind of thing on their parents or their grandparents' stories, but the immigration laws changed dramatically in the 60s, and so, you know, that was where... Yeah, there is no Ellis Island anymore. Right. You can't just come here and, and come on a boat, wait in line, and as long as you pass a health inspection, you're in. I mean, that's what we were talking about back when John Tester's, um, you know, parents or grandparents, I think his grandparents homesteaded. Right. But 
you know, things are, are far different now. And so you can't, uh, you know, you can't just come in. In order for you to come into the United States, you have to fit into very particular categories. Like, do you have an immediate relative who can petition for you? So it's like... And how does any of this help us? I mean, obviously, we made these changes in the 60s for some reason, but what was the... Was the reasoning behind it actually sound, or was it racist bullshit? You know, I think that it, it was always based on um, racism and fear. I mean, I think that... Oh, good. You know, McCarthyism lived, and we just yeah. didn't catch it all. You know, prior to the 1900s, there was almost, like, no immigration control whatsoever. Um, people just came here, and, and, and you came, and, and there you go. But then you saw, I think, towards, uh, you know, the 1920s, even as, even as late as 19, the 1920s, there were some states that started to, um, you know, before that, you could vote if you were a permanent resident or a citizen. Now you can only vote if you're, if you're a citizen. But before, they recognized, I think, correctly, that anyone who lives here on a permanent basis has a vested interest in the stake of their communities. They want the best for their community, whether they're a citizen or not, and they should be able to vote to try to better their, their communities. But, you know, what we saw was uh, a lot of Eastern Europeans at that point in time were coming in. Um, there were a lot of immigrants from a lot of different countries in, in Europe and everywhere else, and so there was some fear about the, um, the way that these immigrants were going to impact our communities, change it, and so all of a sudden you had to be a citizen to vote. Um, then you had even more fears about the rise of the Irish, Italians, you know, all kinds of different groups that, that at that point in time were feared, and so um, new immigration controls were put in place. There were quotas that were put in place so only certain numbers of visas could be granted to certain countries. And the whole, the whole immigration system has been dramatically shifting to become more restrictive. And really the most restrictive recent laws were passed in 1996. And that, those laws were damaging in a lot of different ways. But, they, it, you know, it was a Republican-controlled Congress and it was like the New Deal for America. And so they passed all these laws, but all they've done is increase the numbers of people in removal proceedings, backlogged our immigration courts, broken up families so now if oh you, yay great work people yeah i mean if you've got somebody who entered the country illegally um doesn't matter how long they've been here could be even 10 years 15 years they could be the most beloved member of their community be married have three u.s citizen children none of that really matters because they can't do any kind of petition until they leave the country and go back to their home country to, to, to get a, a marriage petition. It's called like touching back. They're, they say, hey, you entered the country illegally. You can't do anything until you go back. But the problem is, in 1996, they enacted a law saying that if you were out of status in the U.S. for more than a year, when you go back, we're not going to let you come back in. So it was like a catch-22. And so um, there's a special waiver process. It's very difficult to obtain. You can win it. But it's very difficult and time-consuming, and so most people are unwilling to be separated from their families and go back to a country that they haven't been to for many years and probably have very few ties to that country any longer, um, and then kind of put themselves in a position where they may or may not be able to come back. So we need a little more certainty um, in, in the process so that people can legalize. People who have been here or do have spouses and children who are U.S. citizens can actually feel comfortable that they can now come forward, go through a process to legalize their status, but not have to be separated from their family for over a year and not have to have a question mark of whether they're even going to be allowed back in. Right. So, you know, there are all kinds of common sense reforms that we could be talking about, but in order to talk about this stuff, what makes sense, what laws we should pass, we've got to get past basically the 
knee-jerk reactions of like, well, these guys are just criminals. They broke the laws. Why don't they just, you know, they've got to just go back and, you know, the, all that right. stuff is the, not helpful. It, but <laughs> the knee-jerk These guys are criminals. I've seen how most of the people in Montana drive. So are y'all. Just FYI. <laughs> the speed limits are posted. You're going over them. That makes you a criminal. There it is. So now that we're all in the same level playing field. Right. Let's actually have a discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so... Ugh, I just get so frustrated with people. I, I don't understand why they can't sit down and have a conversation that's like adults. Well, and then I realize that I can barely do it, so I guess I should be nicer. <laughs> um, so what do you see coming up in this next year? I mean, the election's coming up, and we've got a lot of interesting people running bo- on both sides. Um, and in, it's becoming more clear kind of how the parties are having their disparate notions of, of what they're going to do. Um, how do you think the election's going to play out? You know, it's kind of funny. The, the, um, both sides seem to be, to some extent, trying to use the Latino vote as like a prop this, this election cycle. And so there is, I, I think, an understanding that the Latino voting bloc is becoming more powerful and that you need to try to get, get some, of that, some of those voters and capture their, voters, their votes. But, um, you know, as far as the Obama administration goes... Uh, we are, uh, you know, th- there hadn't been much of any beneficial trend that the Obama administration pushed until very recently. Now they've made a big push. So you can't help but honestly look at that as probably some facet of a political uh, political ploy to get more votes. Uh, on the other hand, there's genuine, there are genuine benefits to so many people from what they're doing. Yeah. So, you know, but... Um, but basically, we had been waiting for a push for immigration reform uh, throughout the Obama presidency. We'd been waiting for uh, the DREAM Act to pass. Granted, it wasn't the Obama administration's fault that the DREAM Act didn't pass. It was brought forward, um, lost by about six, seven, eight votes. Um, and basically, there were two Republican crossovers who voted for it. Then we had four Democratic crossovers who voted against it. And two then, of them from our state. Yay. Yeah, two of them from our state. Um, and then uh, Montana so, made a difference. Wrong again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but um, but you know now we we are seeing. So there was actually an increase in the number of deportations um, from the Bush era. The Obama administration actually deported more people in, in its first years of the presidency than the Bush administration did. So you know it's kind of a mixed bag. But now you've got um, some new act programs um, like the de- it's called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. And so it's kind of like the DREAM Act, but it's not the same. This is something that the Obama administration was able to do just on their own. Um, It doesn't even require any congressional approval because it's totally within the power of the executive branch. And so they're just saying, hey, look, if you came here when you were under 16 and you um, can prove that you are going to high school or college, then we are going to let you stay. But all you're doing is you're coming forward and saying, hey, here I am. Then the government says, okay, we're not going to deport you. Great, you're allowed to work, and we're not going to deport you. That's it. It doesn't put you on a path to getting citizenship. It doesn't put you on a path to getting a permanent legal status. It's just saying, for now, you're not going to be deported. It's better than nothing. It's certainly better than nothing, yeah. And I've already, I'm already processing um, you know, about six or so of these applications for different uh, people who have come to me, just kids, and um, you know, I'm not charging them very much at all because these are just kids who are trying to get right. started, go to college. But um, so yeah, that, that that was a great new program. There are a couple other little things that they've talked about doing, um, and so 
I think, um, I think that this most recent program is going to definitely help Obama get, get some, some more voters who were a little skeptical. The Latino vote was actually very skeptical of what Obama had done to represent their interests. And immigration is a big interest of the Latino voters. Even, you know, obviously um, most Latino or all Latino voters are citizens. That's why they can vote. Um, here in Montana, it, we've got, uh, according to the recent statistics, 57% of the uh, immigrants here in Montana are citizens, so they can vote. Um, I don't think that our politicians here necessarily understand that or have, have, uh, have oh, kind of, of recognized that. They but, just see them as the other and then they freak out around the corner and yeah, their pants. <laughs> I think there's this idea that you can uh, very safely in Montana um, set aside the the interests of the immigrant community or undocumented immigrants because, you know, we don't barely have any and, would, you know, whoever we do have can't uh, vote anyway. That's actually not true according to these statistics um, that, based on the latest census. But, um, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting. Mitt Romney has said that he's against the uh, DREAM Act policy. He's against the deferred action policy that I'm we sure talked about. I'm sure at some point he said he's for them as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. I guess um, as far as on the state level, I'm going to be interested to see how um, state-level candidates um, – state their position on LR-121, the legislative referendum I talked about, the mm -hmm. state-level anti-immigrant referendum. Because if we had, for instance, uh, Steve Bullock um, make a statement saying that he opposes that law, it's not necessary, it's not our Montana values, I think that would go a long ways towards help defeating that referendum. But if you, um, if you have candidates kind of stay quiet on it, um, nobody has heard of it, they don't, um, they don't know about it, that could go badly for us. So... Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the whole thing plays out from the immigration perspective. It, it, I think it's going to be an interesting election, too. I think we're all going to be up way late on election night. Yeah. So plan your Tuesday, get your little kit, have some aspirin. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I should mention, we, we talked about the, uh, the ICE agent who... Um, who um, oh, yes. Yeah. We, and then, you know, I guess probably because we both heard about it so much lately, or at least I have, I'm honestly a little bit tired of even talking about it just because it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. But um, I'll just tell you the, the, the basic gist of what happened. So last year, around September, I believe it was, of last year, I sit down at my computer and check my email, and there's a, there's a message in there from, from Bruce Norum. He's the senior immigration and customs enforcement officer in the whole state of Montana. So he has control over arresting people, detaining them, and putting them into deportation proceedings things like that. And uh, I've been dealing with this uh, guy for, for years, you know, um, working with him on a professional basis on various cases. But so it wouldn't be unusual that I got an email from him. Right. What, but, I, but let's back up to not only are your parents Muslim, but they're, you're, they're from Pakistan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So just in case everybody was wondering, Shahid is not white. <laughs> right. Right. And if you can see me, I'm got a, I've got a Full beard, pretty much, and uh, right, and a delightful tan. Although you are wearing the ripped jeans, so I, I think yeah. you fit in pretty well. <laughs> yeah, but um, so you know, uh, th this email says, um, you know, letter from an American Airlines pilot, and then it's like, what is this? And so um, it's from Bruce Norum, he sends it to me and and this other immigration and customs enforcement officer, and then he writes, good read, you know. So then he forwards this whole article. So it turns out what the article is, is this American Airlines pilot supposedly um, set, wrote this letter after September 11th and goes into this rant about how, you know, um, 
people who are uh, Muslims are, aren't entitled to the same due process protections as uh, the rest of us in the country, and we have to prove our loyalty. Actually brought, uh, let's see, since I... <laughs> there we go. Figured this was coming up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's, here's one of the passages from the, from the letter. I've been trying to say this since 9-11, but you worry me. I wish you didn't. I wish when I walked down the streets of this country that I love that your color and culture still blended with the beautiful human landscape we enjoy in this country. But you don't blend in anymore. It's not my responsibility to determine which of you embraces our great country. Um, It's time for every Arab American in this country to determine it for me. I want to know. I demand to know. I have a right to know whether or not you love America. Do you pledge allegiance to its flag? Do you proudly display it? Um, you know, it kind of goes on and on. At one point it says, uh, I want to see Arab Muslims waving the American flag in the streets. I want to hear you chanting, Allah bless America. Um, you know, we will never allow the attacks of September 11th to, uh, to undermine our constitution. I want to know where every Arab Muslim in this country stands. And it's my right and every, uh, the right of every true citizen to demand it. Okay, let's back up a minute. We will never let the acts of September 11th undermine our constitution and then the immediate sentence that follows that <laughs> is how we are going to undermine our constitution because of the acts of September 11th so whoever wrote that is an idiot there is no getting around it you are an idiot if you cannot see that problem that's that's all there is to it and then if you forward that email You're... from your work account <laughs> during work hours um, as the the senior immigration official in the state of Montana and you're like, good read, check this out and, and send it, so basically he sent it to me and another employee of his and I couldn't understand why in the hell he would send this to me, you know, like could you think of a worse person to send this to so you've got <laughs> one President the, Obama you know. <laughs> yeah, President Obama would be probably the one worst person to send this to, but you've got um, in the state of Montana I, I'm convinced that I'm probably the worst person in the state of Montana he could send yeah, to. Yeah, because I mean any, well in this, okay, welcome to Racism 403, but um, anybody else in the official capacities in the state, like the state elected officials it's a bunch of white people and our, we have a very pale electorate <laughs> Right, so you've got so. the only one of the only immigration attorneys in the state, I mean we've got a handful um, the only by far the only Pakistani immigration attorney in the state I, I don't even know if there's another Pakistani-American lawyer in the state. Uh, there probably is. But, but then also you've got, the, I'm, I'm the president of the board of the Montana Human Rights Network, so I have immediate access to, to try to remedy this wrong by going forward to my group and saying, hey, look, this is what I got, this horribly prejudicial email, you know. And so, yeah, I, I, it was just really strange. I mean, uh, on the one hand, it seemed like he was trying to send me a message like, hey, I don't trust you. I think that you are... You know, which is a ridiculous thing, and, and and I realize this is audio for everybody else. You can't see what you're wearing, but you're wearing a polo and jeans and 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 regular shoes. I mean, there's it's not like you're here in a burka, no. <laughs> which would be inappropriate anyway. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's no turban. You didn't drive up in a limo with 72 people around you. Yeah. Think, plus, so. I mean, you know, a lot of people know that Muslims don't eat pork and you know i'm here today did you have a bacon incident this morning (laughs) Uh, yeah well i uh, i actually am am, as we speak suffering from food poisoning because i cooked bad bacon it had been in my fridge for like two weeks and i i kind of lost track of time (laughs) threw it on the grill and been regretting why it's in the book the bacon is only good for a week (laughs) i know (laughs) it's like a that's another level of irony in the whole situation. It's like, newsflash, like, only Muslim in Montana is sick from eating bacon. <laughs> but, Calls his dad the doctor. Yeah. And goes, hmm. hmm. Yeah, but, 
So, you know, I immediately uh, filed a complaint about this, you know, because the way that email was written, you know, the whole, you remember the whole Judge Siebel incident where Judge Siebel sends this horribly racist email around everybody. Right, the so, joke that accused Obama's mom of having sex with a dog. Right. That's classy. Way I mean, go, Judge. Yeah, and so that was, that whole thing came up after this, and so it's almost like mine was just to whet everybody's appetite for what kind of horrible emails our, our like, senior officials can be sending out. But um, in that email, as bad as it was, and it was bad, it, 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 it didn't directly state a position that would, you know, make him, make him unfit for duty. I mean, it, it did make him unfit for duty because it implied that he believes that Obama, Obama's mother is, would be sleeping with animals, that... that right, for, so it, the judges did, but uh, the ICE officers necessarily didn't. No, I, actually, I'm saying the opposite. I'm, oh. I'm saying that the, uh, the judge's email was in bad taste. Um, it was horribly offensive. But you would then have to extrapolate from that to, to say that this bad joke, this horribly tasteless joke, means that this guy can't perform his duties. See, Actually, and, I, I, and I would agree that, that if your judgment is so poor that you would send this joke on, you probably shouldn't be sitting in judgment of anything. It absolutely, I mean, it absolutely calls into question it was sexist, homoph- uh, racist, not homophobic. But, um, the, uh, but the thing about this other email, I mean, if we were to compare the two, is that it states very explicitly and in detailed terms the fact that he believes in denying due process to Muslims, denying due process in certain specific ways as outlined. Well, it was and like denying, a, denying basic citizenship rights, which is that, you know, not just everybody's innocent until proven guilty, but more importantly, that we're all equal. Yeah. And you shouldn't have anything to prove to me. And I shouldn't have anything to prove to you either. And, it's a, and, and the thing is, that's his exact duty to be able to enforce those laws in an impartial manner because he's going around, he's in charge of arresting people who he suspects to be undocumented, detaining them. He gets to decide if he wants to, uh, say, release somebody and allow them to be with their families while the immigration court case is pending or keep them in detention separated from their families in a jail cell while the immigration court case is pending. So he has huge discretion to handle cases in different ways and if he's out there saying hey if you're a muslim if you're look arab i actually don't trust you i'm saying that right now <laughs> like flat out i don't trust you i'm not going to treat you fairly that to me means that as, so how are you level, dealing with are cases coming up before him that you're having to deal with or? yeah so you know what happened was he was suspended um, oh, this, pending. Yeah, this is the the flying bullshit from the red tape. He right. was suspended. Nothing supposedly happened. The next thing that happened was he was back in place with they, and they hadn't even alerted you. Yeah, absolutely. they hadn't said you said anything. Said what had happened. No internal discussion had gone on. They've given you the runaround to talk to like seven people, but nobody's saying anything. Yeah, they won't even say if he was reprimanded. If so, what reprimand he received? Um, you know, so. He's basically back at work, and um, you know I do have clients who are, who are Muslim. I had before too, and um, they are now having to be under um, the jurisdiction ultimately of, of this guy. So, you know, and it's, there's no way for him to recuse. Well, he's an officer. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think he even um, wants to recuse or will recuse. Actually, his field director, um, I spoke to him. This field director is in Salt Lake City, so mm-hmm. he's the senior official here in Montana. But he has a boss. The boss is in Salt Lake. Right. But um, and then ultimately they all have a boss. It's, it's the White House. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, 
I asked him how I would be expected to work with Bruce Norum, you know, given what he had done, the email he sent. How am I supposed to have a working relationship with him? And he said, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's business as usual. So the idea is that he's not going to recuse himself from my cases. Um, at some point, we'll have to sit down face-to-face and deal with stuff. Yeah, so immigration courts, do they go through the regular courts or...? No, it's its own separate tribunal, you know, over by the airport in Helena, um, like right across the street. There's this Department of Homeland Security office. It's just a small, unimposing building, and that's where we go. That's where the immigration court is and where you go for interviews and stuff. So who's the immigration judge? The immigration judge, oddly enough, we have, this will just, like, cause you to, like, pass out from complexity and stupidity, but our immigration court judge is based out of Portland, Oregon, and for status hearings... Um, he calls in by speakerphone. And so me and my clients go into this room, this is a tiny little room with a desk, and we go in and sit down, and there's a speakerphone. And the judge calls in, and uh, he can't even see my clients, and we kind of tell him what's going on with our cases. And the uh, opposing counsel, because there's always an opposing counsel, the government actually is your opponent, they call in from Denver, Colorado, and they call in. And so we're all talking to the speakerphone, and... um, Twice Have they a heard year. of Skype? <laughs> yeah. Video conferencing would help. I mean, I think it makes a difference to be able to see somebody face-to-face. I mean, it's so impersonal. Um, it's so e- so much easier to criticize well, and more them. more importantly, why are you having to go someplace to make a phone call? Why can't they just call you at your office? You would think, but no, they, uh, I guess they have, they have their reasons, oh. supposedly. But, um, but yeah, so uh, twice a year, the judge actually flies down, and then we have our, our final hearings. So the status stuff is on the phone, but then he comes in for our real hearings. And so um, it's May and October usually. So October, um, this October, it's coming back again. And so every, um, those dockets are just jam-packed for me because all my cases that have been building up are all resolved in those two weeks of the year, just in May and October. And uh, so um, there's a lot going on as far as that goes. But, um, But yeah, so you know, Bruce Norm doesn't have, he's not like an immigration judge. He doesn't get to decide if somebody's deported or not. Right, but, but I'm wondering if the immigration judge could actually say, no, you're not going to work in my court anymore. I think, um, I think the immigration judge could very well say, hey, any, um, any removal actions that were initiated by you are inherently suspect to me, and I'm going to be going over those with a fine-tooth comb to see if I see any impropriety. And, um, and should. Yeah. So, Judge, if you're listening to this, probably not. But if you are listening to this, absolutely should. And what drives me nuts about it is that, you know, the the governor, uh, going off topic, sorry. The governor a couple weeks ago talked about how, late, how blatant racism is in the state. And mm-hmm. he was in Ohio, I think, when he said it. And a bunch of people got upset about it. But then Hank Williams Jr. last week just proved it right. Uh, you know, I don't understand why we would let these people represent Montana. I don't understand why we would allow for an official in that capacity to be how Montana is going to be seen. Yeah. That's that's a level of insanity that I just can't fathom. And for if the federal government isn't going to remove them, then our state government should at least stand up and say, hey, we won't accept this. You need to put somebody else in charge. Yeah. Because we don't need to be seen as the crazy crackpot racists. We've got enough of them. But they aren't everyone. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd like to see Bruce Norm have to resign and or be be removed from office because of this. I don't think he's fit to perform his duties, and I've been very clear about that. And I continue to um, to oppose his reinstatement. But um, you know, I'm not sure w- what's going to happen in the near future as far as that goes. So he'll be here. But I think that uh, yeah, that's the next step is when um, when I feel that uh, I haven't been treated 
fairly or my clients haven't been treated fairly, we'll definitely bring that to the immigration judge and hope for some action there. You know, you mentioned uh, Governor Schweitzer and his statements he made in, in Ohio. It's, um, if you listen to the video clip where he goes into some more detail about st some mm -hmm. other stuff he was talking about, he does talk about immigration. And um, one of the things is that Governor Schweitzer has been very open about uh, the issue of immigration and his, his thoughts on it. And he has some really compelling, interesting uh, stories to tell as far as that goes. And, and it goes back to his own family history. And he talks about how his own family came here using, to some extent, uh, visa fraud, basically. And how, you know, we have this idea that, well, like the newcomers are the, are the ones who are breaking our immigration laws and coming here. Uh, well, that's because we deliberately put up these laws that everybody would have to break. Right. Well, that's, that's absolutely true. But, I mean, even back then, even like, and I've been reading about this a lot in various respects. I think if everybody goes back and really looks at their, um, at their family history, you, you might be shocked to find that your grandparents actually did come in illegally. They may have, even then. Oh, mine the did. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no question about it. On my mom's side, yeah, they broke uh, probably every law they could to get in. And, you know, the, that's what they had to do. They were in a situation where the Crown had put a death warrant on them and they had to leave and they changed their names and they went through Canada and, you know, came into the U.S. and then went to Butte and worked in the mines and had a big family and hopefully nobody noticed, but everybody kind of did. We've got to talk about that in more detail, actually, sometime. Um, um, if we knew more, we would, but we don't even know his original name. Oh, okay, so yeah. It's, it's one of those, I mean, literally, he did a good job of covering his tracks and the name he chose we know, but we don't know anything about him beyond that. Yeah. You know, we we know he was born in Ireland, but that's because everybody knew his accent was Irish. Oh, okay. He wasn't good at faking it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm actually interested in collecting stories like that one. Actually, uh, I'm starting a new nonprofit um, mm. organization called the Montana Immigrant Justice Alliance, and so the acronym will be MIHA, and uh, like M I J A. And MIHA is a good name because in Spanish uh, it's like slang for my daughter, and so it's a kind of family-oriented, showing um, in a lot of ways the, the benefits that immigrants have, uh, the, the, the beneficial impact immigrants have had on our culture here in Montana, um, both historically looking back at kind of contributions from the Irish and, you know, uh, different communities we have here, including the Hutterites, who've had an article written about, written about them did this morning. But, you know, a lot of historical stuff, but also current stuff, um, you know, and uh, so my goal is to bring more attention to the issue of immigrant rights in Montana, uh, promote immigrant inclusion in our culture and good laws, oppose bad laws like LR-121, and kind of generally get our politicians on board with understanding the issue so that they don't make um, kind of bad choices with their, with their voting. <laughs> so Many of them made bad choices because they decided to run and shouldn't. <laughs> um. <laughs> Because I'm such a nice person. Um, we've actually come up on an hour and ten minutes already. Wow. Um, so let's go over ways people can contact you if they need to. You are on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. And uh, I think, um, you know, actually the best way to contact me on Twitter would be my, uh, my business. It's Border Law. So the name of my law firm is the Border Crossing Law Firm. And so it's uh, just B-O-R-D-E-R -E Law. It's at Border Law on Twitter. Cool. Um, yeah, check me out on Facebook, too. If you look, look for Border Crossing Law Firm, I've got a lot of informative updates about, you know, local stuff. And uh, Very cool. And we'll put uh, links to that in the show notes. Everybody, if you want to know where the show notes are, you can go to politicticboom.com. Look for Shahid's episode, and it's right there. 
at the bottom you should be able to see it just fine and um, does Miha have a site yet or um, it's not up yet but it's going to be Miha.org and uh, okay. yeah we're kind of launching it next month I um, told you about it a little bit early but you know really what we're going to do is um, we are going to um, launch it next month and have it all come out with the bank, Big Bang. So Very cool. We'll, we'll include a link there. It may not work yet until uh, it gets launched, but uh, you should be able to find it there. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Very interesting, and uh, I'm really interested to see how the uh, election turns out and what next uh, session is going to be like. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to have you back to talk about it again. Yeah, sounds good. I'd love to come back. Thanks. Everybody, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Oh, I can't get down.